Hey friends, thanks for stopping by again. I promised you that this episode would be lighter than the last one, and it will be. You know, I've always been interested in words and how we use them, how we hear them. And that's why I'm calling this episode Word Salad. I do see our English language as in the process of collapsing. But my focus here is not an exercise in pointing out how we misuse and mispronounce, although they do have a place in the equation. What I find fascinating and sometimes funny is how we all tend to make assumptions when it comes to our interpretation of words, what we think when we hear a particular word. Let's start with the word new as an example. Market researchers and ad agencies generally agree it is the one word that always attracts our attention. So it's fun, at least for me, to observe how the marketers of products and services actually use this word. Dictionaries define new as a word describing something that has recently come into our existence or come into our general awareness. That makes sense. But new relative to what? Has a product or service or concept just been invented, offered for the very first time? Maybe the packaging colors or the logo has changed. Maybe a concept has simply been renamed. But is the item itself new? Maybe, maybe not. Either way, our attention is drawn to the word and we usually don't investigate any further. The ingredients of the product or service or concept may be exactly as they were. And there are more subtle, misleading, and dare I say, sneakier ways to apply the word. Case in point, diphenhydramine is the common active ingredient in many over-the-counter allergy remedies on the market for years. But more recently, one or more manufacturers realized that same compound could be used as an effective sleep aid. So they took the same product, gave it a second name, and started marketing it as a new sleep aid, which, by the way, is noticeably more expensive than the allergy treatment made up of essentially the same ingredients. Better is another word used in misleading ways, too. Better is a word of comparison. If something is better, it has to be better than something else. So, better than what? Better than the same item used to be? Better than every other similar product or service or concept of which we are aware? We seldom ask those questions. We just see or hear the word better, and we interpret it as being a good thing. And one additional observation about better, and this is something just about all of us do. As an example, let's say we prefer baseball over football. Then what we say is, I like baseball more than football. But what we often say is, I like baseball better than football. By using the word better in this way, what we are saying is that our ability to like one thing more than another is somehow better. 
We, of course, know what we mean, but what we're actually saying has nothing at all to do with the comparison between one thing and another. It has only to do with how we are rating our ability to like. I guess it would make perfect sense if we thought our ability to like could somehow be improved like we would strengthen a muscle with exercise. Let's not forget the word free, another word very likely to catch our attention. Between people and sometimes between small businesses and individuals, there are situations in which someone is actually the beneficiary of something free, and that's great. But generally speaking, in the larger world, the larger business world, the word free is used extensively in misleading and dishonest ways. Buy two at $17.95 each and get a third one free. Wow, that sounds like a deal. But what if the per unit price point at which the business makes a reasonable profit is in reality $12 per unit? Then three products will generate $36. So we've just bought our two products for $35.90, meaning our third is not free at all, but it's just a dime less than what the seller needs to make a full profit from all three. I personally don't know of any large business anywhere that does not pull this kind of con. The generous credit card companies to whom millions of us are indebted gift points to us just for using their services. Damn, I've earned 200 points just for using my card. Now I can use those points to buy more stuff with my credit card. Unless you've been asleep or have never before used a credit card, you know that the card company is gifting us absolutely nothing. There are no real points, no actual rewards. The company's cost for all of these so-called benefits has already been built into the company's pricing structure. It may look good from the outside, but it's all bull. Ain't words great? Even law firms, usually those specializing in personal injury, pull the same sleight of hand. You pay nothing unless we win your case. Well, how can I lose? Well, this is how you can lose. If your particular case is anything less than a slam dunk for them, they simply do not take your case. They are certainly not willing to spend their time and money arguing your case unless they're positive they're going to win. And when they do win, they'll keep not just legal fees, but a sizable chunk of whatever amount you're being paid as the winner of the case. And that money will be taken before you get your share. Time to do the happy word salad dance. Here's another example related to descriptions that we often misinterpret. We can read a label on, let's say, a bottle of cranberry juice. And the label says, no added sugar. Well, that sounds good. Less sugar in our diet is better. But stop and think for a minute. Have you ever tasted a freshly picked cranberry? Have you ever made cranberry sauce? 
if you have, you know that cranberries are extremely tart. When making cranberry sauce, we need to add a huge amount of sugar just so that it won't be overwhelmingly sour. What that means is that someone, either a manufacturer or the FDA, has determined what amount of sugar needs to be added in order to make the cranberry juice drinkable. So in this case, no added sugar means there was no sugar added in addition to the large amount of sugar already in the cranberry juice, the sugar that's required to make it not too sour to drink. How about no artificial preservatives? Is that the same thing as no preservatives? No. It means that there may very well be preservatives in the product, but the ones used were not made by a chemical factory, rather taken somehow from a naturally occurring source. That could be better, but not everything taken from nature is good for our bodies. So maybe a description of what that non-chemical preservative is would give us more information about how that preservative might affect us. How about improved or new and improved? Could that simply mean that the object in question used to be crappy, but now it's not? Could be. Sometimes entire descriptive statements can be misleading while sounding official. There's a well-known toothpaste that's been around for a long time. We've all seen it or used it. For years in its TV ads and printed on its packaging was this statement. Maybe it's still used, I don't know. This toothpaste, quote, has been shown to be an effective decay-preventing dentifrice when used in a conscientiously applied program of dental hygiene and regular professional care. Sounds scientific, right? But what is it actually saying? Well, it's saying that if you brush your teeth conscientiously every day and make regular visits to your dentist, this stuff is toothpaste. Now, that's not a lie, but it does make the product sound more significant than it actually is. How about this one we see all the time? Guaranteed for life. Okay, what life? Whose life? Was this thing, whatever it is, designed to last about a year? If that's the case, then life, as it's used here, means about a year. Or does for life mean the entire life of whoever buys it? If that's the case, and you're, let's say, 35 when you purchase it, if you are still alive 50 years later, you're 85, and the product stops working, the guarantee must still be in effect, right? What if the company's long gone, or maybe no one uses that kind of product 50 years later? Well, if it's got a lifetime guarantee, then there must be some way for the guarantee to be honored. And what if over that 50 years, the item has become very rare and is now worth a lot more money? Then, whoever is going to honor the guarantee has got to be willing to give you 
a free product identical to the one you purchased. All I can say is, if you buy that, I've got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. In fairness to ourselves, though, we have become more knowledgeable, more sophisticated over time. There was once a cigarette brand that referred to itself as the thinking man's cigarette. Today, we'd probably say, what the hell does that mean? Men who smoked other brands were dumb. Men who did smoke this brand were more intelligent, better educated. Hmm. Maybe if I had smoked this brand, I'd be smarter today. The way we use words in social interactions is also interesting. Some folks always seem to start sentences with the word, look, spoken in this way, look. Now, this is not true of everyone, but I know a particular individual who does this as a way of implying that what is about to follow is the final word, the authoritative statement, so you probably shouldn't disagree. One that always cracks me up is the use of the word literally. That chicken wing was so hot, my head literally exploded. Well, that would indeed be an ugly thing to witness. Brain matter, blood, and skull fragments all over the place. I am so blessed by your kindness, I don't know what to say. I am literally speechless. Well, no, you're not. If you were literally speechless, you wouldn't be talking now. Here's one that strays into the subject of inventing words. It kind of drives me crazy. Short drive, right? It's a sentence that goes something like this. Well, that's a whole nother story. A whole other story makes sense. Another whole story makes sense. But nother is not a word. We, of course, know what's meant, but words can be beautiful and powerful and also very precise, especially in the English language. And the more we slide away from what they actually mean, the less we know our own language, the less effective we are at communicating an idea. I'm not criticizing the use of slang. It can be really expressive and fun. If a friend says to me, sup, I'm not about to correct them and say, oh, do you mean what's up? Every language on earth is in a continuing state of evolution, just as we all are. I just think that we serve our own best interests if we try to pay a little more attention to where words come from and where they're headed. When I was five or six, I heard someone make this statement. She looks like a sheeny. For some reason at the time, I thought the reference was to someone sloppily dressed. I never heard the word spoken again after that, and when I did attempt to use it many years later in a casual conversation with my good friend Sid, as soon as I uttered the word, Sid stood back and said, What? I was taken aback by his reaction. We'd been talking about a mutual friend at school who we both thought was kind of a slob. I was attempting to be funny. Sid was Jewish, and when he explained to me that the word was an old, insulting term used to deride Jews, 
I was thankful that I hadn't spoken it in public, or worse, in the presence of his great-grandmother, who had survived the Holocaust and lived with him and his parents. I had been utterly clueless. A valuable lesson and a good reason to pay more attention to words and their meanings. You know, before I wrap it up, something just came to mind. It doesn't have to do with the understanding of words or how we use them. Rather, it has to do with the carefully crafted avoidance of some words. So it does technically fall under the word salad umbrella. This is not specific to, but is found very commonly in politics. We all see or read it virtually every day of our lives. It goes something like this. Question. Mr. Candidate, do you believe tax rates should be the highest for the 1% of our population who are the richest? Answer. Well, thank you for that question. It has always been my belief that the taxpayers of America are the backbone of the economy. And I will always give our working taxpayers credit for the big part they play in our success as a nation. Well, the question required a yes or a no answer. That's all. There would be room later, after the yes or no answer, for deeper explanation. But if a yes or a no was not the first word out of the candidate's mouth, the question was not answered. Period. If they made me czar of presidential debates, which, of course, will never, ever happen, the moment a candidate answering a yes-no question without saying yes or no, his or her microphone would be turned off immediately, and the candidate would lose the chance to respond. Needless to say, I wouldn't be very popular. So, that's it for now. I hope you found my word salad appetizing. Please stop back again in a couple of weeks, and we'll connect again. In the meantime, be well, be thankful, and be full of light. <laughs>